This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, good afternoon, everybody. We're going to think this afternoon about this man, Solomon. We're going back 3,000 years from our time back into the days of the Old Testament in Israel and this man who was the son of the great King David uh, became king over Israel and made it into one of the greatest kingdoms in terms of wealth and riches that the world's ever seen. The Bible portrays him as a, a very wise man, perhaps one of the wisest men that the world's ever known because his wisdom was given to him by God. Yet the Bible also portrays him as an incredibly foolish man. Uh, and I'm going to set before you the question for you to decide yourselves this afternoon. Was Solomon ultimately wise or was he foolish in the decisions and the life that he made and the consequences of them? I'm going to look at a number of Bible passages and just pick out... Uh, some parts of his life and the three occasions that God spoke to him and then think about what he said at the end of his life and I want to start with his birth and I want to take you back in the Old Testament please to the second book of Samuel and chapter 12 there, there's something here that's easy to miss just from this passage but when we look elsewhere in the Bible, it gives us a little bit of extra information that I think is important and helps us to understand the family into which Solomon was born. We know his father was David. <coughs> Excuse me. We know his mother was Bathsheba. We know from chapter 11 of 2 Samuel that his uh, parents came together in a most unsavoury way, that David the king uh, sent his his servants to take this woman uh, and he had sex with her and she became pregnant and he uh, took her and because of the, the shame of being found out as an adulterer he had her husband killed so he's, uh, he's a man who I won't say uh, raped this woman but coerced her from a position of great power to have sex with him he lied about it he deceived his people as king committed adultery, committed murder and then he married this woman and we are told in chapter 11 that God was very angry with him said the baby that's going to be born is going to die but because you have repented before me you are forgiven but says God to David uh, you have to live with the consequences of what you've done and in chapter 12 we find that this baby, unnamed baby was born and was sick and ultimately died and if you go on down to verse 24 we read that after all these things that happened verse 24 it says that David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her and she bare a son and he called his name Solomon and the Lord loved him and he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet he called his name Jedidiah strange name isn't it, it means um, beloved of God because of the Lord and it reads there as if this happened straight away after this, this child, first child's been born and died. But that's not the case. The Bible 
sometimes doesn't tell us all the information about an incident in just one spot. We know from other Bible passages that this child Solomon was actually the fourth child that was born and lived. The fourth child born to David and Bathsheba. So God waited, the first child is born, grows up, the second child's born, grows up, the third child's born, grows, fourth one. It's not till the fourth one that we read these words of the God loving this child and calling him the one whom God loved. Now the question we need to ask straight away is why? Why wasn't the first child chosen by God if he's going to choose David and Bathsheba to be the parents of the one who's going to be a great king of Israel? And I think the clue is there in verse 24 when it says David comforted Bathsheba. It's a, it's a word that's got the idea of sorrow and repentance. And if this marriage had come together in such circumstances that it was based on adultery, it was based on deceit, it was based on murder, it was based on, uh, on a baby that was born to them that God thoroughly rejected so it was never named and died within days of its birth, you can imagine that was a pretty rocky start, can't you? And, and I think what we are being told is that it took a lot of work between this man, David, this woman, Bathsheba, to get over those initial circumstances and grow. And it's when David loves and cares for and looks after and comforts this woman. So this is about the way these two ultimately treat each other, get over their problems, that this child Solomon is born. And his name means peace. And perhaps that's another idea that now, finally, what's this four or five years after the horrible events I've mentioned, now finally a baby is born that's healed this marriage, brought peace, brought love between them. And God chooses this, this child here. So Solomon's born, like, I guess, like Prince Charles, like, like William, he's born as, as an heir. He's born as one into a royal household. He's born into a, a, a very powerful household. He's born into a household that's very rich. What do you think his upbringing was like? Would you come with me to the book of Proverbs, please, and just pick up one or two passages. Go into Proverbs chapter 1. And we, we're told in verse 1 of Proverbs 1 that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So now... He is Solomon writing these words and he's writing them to his son. If you just look at chapter 2 verse 1, my son if you will receive my words. So we, we, we've moved on, we'll come back to Solomon's son, this son in a moment. We've moved on uh, quite a while haven't we? We've now got this Solomon as uh, an adult man married with a child and passing on to him words of advice and words of wisdom and it seems to me that a lot of what he told him comes from his own teenage years his own years when he had grown up and, and the sort of problems and temptations that he faced as being an, an heir to the throne of Israel so he says in um, chapter 1 verse 8 my son hear the instruction of your father forsake not the law of your mother there shall be an ornament of grace to your head and chains about your neck listen to what dad says uh, 
was it Mark Twain who wrote that when he was 18 he thought his father was amazingly ignorant and by the time he was 21 he was amazed how much the old man had learnt in the last three years and uh, we can grin at that but you know we've all been teenagers we've all grown up and here is a man who'd been a teenager and, and had all sorts of problems saying listen to me I've been there I've done this so when you go to verse 10 my son if sinners entice you don't agree if they say verse 11 come with us let us wait for blood let, let's go and do something that's really uh, daring dangerous wrong um, verse 13 we'll find all precious substance fill our house with spoil let's, let's go out you know, again and raid somewhere Solomon is saying don't do this don't go with them verse 15 have nothing to do with them do you think that he might have been like that do you think that's a temptation he might have faced? Um, if we go on into chapter 4. And again, hear my children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good teaching. Don't forsake my law. Verse 3. Because I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Just a little a little insight into that special relationship that this child this fourth son had with David and Bathsheba it was a special one and, and my dad verse 4 taught me also and said unto me let your heart retain my words keep my commandments and live get wisdom and understanding and those are going to be two key words in, in Solomon's character Solomon's life uh, the idea of getting wisdom and understanding so that all of us who are parents can relate to this and grandparents can relate to this uh, thinking about our children and our grandchildren uh, listen to me I've been through some of these experiences don't go there, don't do that go to chapter 7 we're, we're, this is the last one we're going to look at um, verse 1 my son again keep my words lay up my commandments with you um, keep my commandments and my laws the apple of your eye they, I'm telling you precious things here but now he says that there's another temptation you're going to face because if you listen to what I say and this wisdom and understanding I'm trying to give you verse 5 they'll help you to keep away from strange women Verse 7, I beheld amongst the, the foolish men, the foolish young men, the simple ones, means foolish young men. I discerned among the youths a man who had no understanding, no wisdom. And, and he went through the street near the corner, I guess this woman's a prostitute really, and went on her way to her and, and went back to her home and lay with her. Now, uh, this is Solomon trying to teach his son not to do these things would you think that this also came out perhaps of his temptations, his experience because one of the things we are going to understand about Solomon is that he was a man who was going to be ruined by women uh, we know that by the time he was a teenager, perhaps somewhere between 15 and 18 he got a girl pregnant because this son, Rehoboam, is the, the offspring of that union. And the woman whose name we know, given in the Bible, whose name means beautiful, so she was, you know, she was a, a good looker, 
who caught him, who was not from um, his, even from his country, but from another country that had nothing to do with God, Naamah the Ammonitess, never mentioned as his wife. But they had a son before Solomon became king, when Solomon must have been only a teenager. They had a son, a child, who's the one mentioned here who was going to reign after Solomon. So, you know, reconstruct this. This is Solomon telling his son about some of the problems he faced in his early life and trying to get him to understand that his dad was interested in women and, and went astray at times. Don't do as I did. Um, do as I'm trying to teach you from my experience. Well, let's move on. Um, let's go back to David and just think he's an old, not an old man by our modern standards. You know, here am I approaching 17. David was about the same. So he wasn't an old man, was he? Um, but he was ill and he got a debilitating disease and he took to his sick bed and it looked as if he wasn't going to get off it and there's trouble in the royal house fighting, squabbling about who's going to be king and, and out of it all David declares Solomon to become king and you can sense David's anxiety in all of this when it dis he describes Solomon as my son is young and inexperienced uh, what was he? He, was, he certainly was no more than 20, 21. He might well have just been a teenager. All those problems of teenage years you know, behind him now. Uh, but it, it wasn't David's plan that Solomon should have become king at this time. And yet, because of the political situation, that had to take place. And, and we can tell from the Bible that David pours out the remaining 12 months of his life because that's all he's going to live less than 12 months into preparing Solomon to be king and to take the throne and to try and rule wisely afterwards let's go back into the, the book of Chronicles 1 Chronicles please I'm going to just look at one or two passages in Kings and Chronicles building up this picture about Solomon so we come into 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and David is going to tell Solomon of a great task that he's going to do, have to do when he becomes king and he says in verse 6 he called for Solomon David called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord the God of Israel so the great temple in Jerusalem that David had wanted to build and God had stopped him building and said you're not the man to do it. God said Solomon your son is the one who's going to do it and now David is going to give Solomon this charge, this, this task to do. I wanted to do it he says verse 7 but verse 8 uh, the word of God came to me saying you, you've been a man of blood. You know, I sometimes think that we look at that and, and see David as being wrongly a bloodthirsty man. He wasn't at all. He wasn't. It tells us, if you're interested in the scriptures, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, God said to Moses that when you come into the land and when you've overcome all of your enemies and conquered them and driven them out of the land, then then I'll establish the place of my rest with you. 
that's why David was a man of blood because he wanted to build this place of rest this temple a place where they could go and worship the God whom David loved and he's trying to get Solomon to love God in the same way and now Solomon's going to be the one who's going to build it verse 9 as a son shall be born to you be a man of rest Solomon the man of peace that's what his name means I'll give him rest from all his enemies about just talked about that his name shall be Solomon I will give peace and quietness into Israel in his day and he shall build a house for me so Solomon's got this great task to do and David dies and he's left on his own and he's got all the politics of the royal house and all the problems in front of him and he's you know 18, 19, 20 year old and he needs some help 1 Kings chapter 3 where's the help going to come from well the very first thing that Solomon did in verse 4 of 1 Kings 3 Solomon goes to a place called Gibeon which is just north of Jerusalem and, and that's where the tabernacle was so that's the thing that Moses had built there in the wilderness had been with Israel all those years the place that where they had gone up to this time to worship God and Solomon goes there and, and it says elsewhere he took all of Israel with him this is a great great uniting act at the beginning of his reign this is a man who, who's buying into David his father's beliefs and the worship of the God of Israel and, and the need to be a king who's going to reign over his people and lead them in worship of God the whole congregation the whole of Israel you know, is represented here in all of their leaders at this place called Gibeon to go and sacrifice there and while he's there verse 5 this is the first of three times that God appears to him and this is what we're going to look at in a little bit more detail the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream by night and God says, what shall I give you? What do you need in order to do this for me? What, what, what do you need to build the temple? Ask me and I'll give it to you. Well, says Solomon, um, you, you were with my father David, verse 6. And uh, you helped him. Um, and you've given him great kindness. You've given him me, his son, to sit on the throne. Verse 7, you've made me, me now your, your servant. You've made me king instead of David. I'm a little child. A great, great humility there, isn't there? Great awareness. This, uh, you think of, of how, how a young man in that position might have been arrogant about it. And he says, I'm a little child. I need help from you, God. And so he says, um, you, you've given me verse 8. Um, I'm in the midst of your people God whom you have chosen a great people there's many of them verse 9 give therefore your servant an understanding heart to judge them that I may know between good and evil because I don't know how to do it uh, that's uh, something that we can understand that this pleased God there it is verse 10 God, God says I'm, I'm really pleased you've asked for this 
And verse 11, because you've not asked for a lot of wealth, you've not asked for riches, you've not asked for the overcoming of your enemies, but you've asked for this. You're a sensible young man, a man I could warm to. I'll give you all the other things that you haven't asked for. Let me tell you something about Solomon at this stage. And I spent a little bit of time putting this into modern money. The Bible tells us of all the wealth that David put into the national treasury, uh, the gold and the silver that was used then, left to Solomon for the building of the temple. There it is, the national treasury. £75 billion pounds worth. That's what it is in modern money. And the Bible also tells us that David had his own money as king. You know, he was a rich man. And you can work out again from what the Bible says how much it was. Three billion pounds. He was a multi-billionaire in modern money. Three billion pounds. Imagine Solomon growing up and thinking of his inheritance, can't you? How much of this am I going to get? No death duties. Was he going to get it all? Would he have to share it between all his brothers? Three billion pounds, ladies and gentlemen, of, of gold and silver. And David says... I'm going to put it all in the temple treasury because I want everything that I've got to go to the building of the temple. What do you think Solomon felt about that? Uh, you know, was it when the will was read sort of thing? Was his nose out of joint? Did he say it's not fair? I, I think he understood that this was what God wanted. And God says, because you have not asked for riches, I'll make you rich. Because you've asked for the right things, you've asked for things that are going to help you to do my work and build your relationship with me. Because you've asked for these things and not material things, I'll bless you in all the things you've not asked for. I'll give you them as well. So here's this, this beginning now of this great relationship between God and Solomon and Solomon builds a temple and it takes him seven years to do it and if you look at some of the details of it you would struggle to get some of the parts of the temple built in any foundry any, any factory in the world today it was absolutely magnificent and wonderful in its manufacture so, so the temple is built and we go over into 1 Kings 6 and verse 14 and it says he built the house and he finished it. So there it's done and it, and it took seven years. We know that if you go to the end of the chapter it says it was seven years in building it. Uh, and perhaps as I've said if you sort of investigate the technical challenges in building it you can understand why. But look at verse 1 of chapter 7. And Solomon was building his own house 13 years and he finished his house. So the resources and the time and the energy that he put into building his own palace nearly twice as much as he put into building God's house, the temple, the place where God's going to be worshipped. Do you think there's a little flag there that something's not quite right? That, that this king's beginning not to be solely focused on the, on the things that God wants of him uh, but he's focusing now on, on things that he's doing for himself and 
not for God. 20 years all of this took. So he's now uh, young middle aged, about 40 I guess. And now if we go over into, uh, into chapter 9, um, God is going to speak to him again. There it is, verse 1 of chapter 9. When Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house. And look at the, the next words. All Solomon's desire which he was pleased to do. All what he wanted to do. He's a man whose, whose view of life, whose view of riches, whose view of all that God had given him is slowly changing about what he wants to do with it. And so God speaks to him now the second time. There it is, begins in verse 2. And uh, God says, verse 3, I've, I've listened to you. Um, I've accepted this temple that you've built for me to put my name there. Verse 4, if you will walk before me as David, my father, as David your father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and judgments. Then I'll establish the throne of your kingdom forever. And one of the interesting things in the Bible. Is that, that every promise. Every commitment that God ever gives makes to Solomon. Is always conditional. It's always linked to this little word. If, if you obey me. If you worship me. If you are only focused on me. Then I'll reward you. And, and, and now God adds a warning, verse 6. But if you at all turn away from following me, or your children, if you don't keep my commandments, verse 7, then I'll cut off Israel out of the land which I've given them. And this house, which you spent so much money on, and so much time building for me, is, is going to be destroyed. That's essentially what God says. So, so this relationship's changing. And this total commitment in the beginning which had delighted God. God said I'll give you everything you want and more besides. All that has sort of begun to change Solomon's heart. And, and his focus and his list of priorities before him. So that he's beginning to do things which he wants to do for himself. Rather than put God first. In fact if you... Um, if you go on into chapter 10, he does one thing which, for me, um, sort of typifies where it's all going wrong. If you look at verse 18 of 1 Kings 10, he built a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. And the throne had six steps and two lions, great golden lions. Verse 20, 12 lions stood on one side and on the step others. There was not, not a throne like this in any kingdom. And, and you know... He had inherited something that he'd sat on as king initially called the, the throne of the Lord. It's hardly ever mentioned in the Bible. But David sat on it and Solomon inherited and sat on it and we don't know what it looked like. I, I don't think it was anything more special than a, than a, than a wooden chair, a wooden armchair. Not, nothing golden, nothing special, nothing rich about it. But David sat on it because it was the throne of the Lord. It was God's kingdom and he was looking after it for God. And Solomon sat on it to start and it wasn't good enough for Solomon. 
And so Solomon sort of moves it off into a corner and builds this great magnificent throne of gold and ivory carvings and nothing like it anywhere in the world. And, and it's his throne. This isn't the throne of God. This is King Solomon's throne. Well, we need to push on. Let's come to chapter 11. Because we're back to his initial weakness. He, he had an eye for the ladies, we might say today. And not only had he uh, made Naamah the Ammonite as pregnant as a teenager, uh, he took Pharaoh's daughter to be wife, I think a political um, political marriage. And now here are, are many strange women mentioned by strange foreign women who didn't share his values or the values that he'd inherited from David the values of, of, of fearing and worshipping God these are women of, of the nations verse 2 of which God had said you shall not go into them neither shall they come to you they will turn away your heart after them and, and, and here's the clinch at the end of verse 2 Solomon clave that's an old fashioned word isn't it to these women he, he's, uh, he's, he's stuck to them he's glued to them uh, he's joined to them, not just sexually, but in, in what they think and what they believe. And right back at the beginning of the Bible, God had said to Moses and to Israel, you need to stick to me. So he uses the same word. You need to cleave to God. You need, you need to be joined to me if you are going to succeed as my nation. And so verse 4, his wives turn his heart away and his heart is not perfect before God. And verse 5, now he, he worships other gods. I don't think that Solomon ever stopped worshipping the God of Israel. But he was a man who thought it didn't matter what he did. You know, I can, you know, this wife wants me to join her in a worship of her God. Okay, you know, keep the peace in this family. Doesn't matter really. Uh, it was a man who, who had, had just been morally corrupted by everything that he had. And so verse 6, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And uh, he builds now. Look, the man who built the temple for God, verse 7, is building altars and, and high places and other worship, places to worship of other gods. Um, this, this is a corrupted life. This is a, wife, a life away from God. And verse 9, God's angry. And the third time, now God appears to him and says, verse 11, because you've done all this, you're going to lose it all. And uh, I'm going to this great kingdom that you inherited from David. I, I'm going to I'm going to rip away from from your son. I won't do it in your lifetime because of David, but I'm rip it apart when when you are dead. And um, and you know, within a generation, all all the wealth of Solomon's kingdom had disappeared. The temple had been sacked. The gold in the temple had been taken away. Um, all, all, all the greatness of what was one of the richest kingdoms in the world had, had got within the next generation there well let's go to our reading and, and begin to, to draw it to a close I want to go to uh, Ecclesiastes and then just into the New Testament just for a moment what did he learn? what do we learn? Ecclesiastes chapter 1 the words of the preacher here it, it, it's a, it, it doesn't mean a preacher like I'm stood up preaching teaching it's a, it's a word which means um, a judge I suppose uh, 
in our modern parlance something like the supreme court judge uh, a convener of assemblies if, if we want to be precise about it Do you remember Solomon had prayed right at the beginning give me wisdom to judge the people and here he is at the end of his life writing about his experiences as the supreme head of the supreme court in Israel the one to whom tricky cases came to judge and to be decided and look at verse 2 he says it's vanity of vanities Um, I, I like the modern translation which says it's utter futility the whole thing is futile everything I've done in life has been a waste of time I have achieved nothing verse 3 what, what's it profit a man of all his labour under the sun uh, one generation passeth away another generation cometh the earth abideth forever let me just share a little anecdote with you when, when I was at work um, fairly early on in my working life I came across uh, another man in ICI I worked in ICI who was uh, roughly the same age as me but his career was already up there you know down here and he gave his life to the job and eventually became the chief executive officer of (coughs) the division of ICI worked in and then he went off and he became the CEO of a a listed company big company on the stock exchange and at 57 he dropped dead of a heart attack and, and it's gone never hear his name mentioned nobody thinks about him I suppose his his wife his kids would remember him but he got everything he had poured his life into and he did to the exclusion of everything else went that one day when uh, when he just dropped dead at work a heart attack in his office that's it isn't it one generation passeth away and another generation cometh and life goes on what what do people really achieve what have I achieved says Solomon as, as king of Israel uh, he, he goes on to say in, in, in uh, chapters in this book that the only thing that happens to everybody that in the end is death but look at, look at verse 12 I was the convener I was the chief judge king over Israel in Jerusalem 13 I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things done under heaven and, and it's a sore travail I've seen it all verse 15 I've seen that that which is crooked could not be straight God gave me God gave me wisdom and understanding to judge his people Israel and I've had no impact on them wicked people are still doing wicked things uh, uh, the sentences I've passed have not changed the lives of people the crooked I can't make straight that which is wanting cannot be numbered I can't solve all the problems it's it's all vanity it's all futile I've achieved nothing it's it's as if he's in the depths of despair here towards the end of his days looking back and realising what a waste it's been this great kingdom has achieved nothing and so if you come on to the very last verse of Ecclesiastes and we haven't got time to, to dwell in this book which is I think one of the saddest bits of the Bible about human nature so you come to verse well let's go to verse 13 of Ecclesiastes 12 let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear God keep his commandments this is the whole duty of man for God shall bring every work into judgment 
with every secret thing whether it could be good or whether it be evil and so his final statement really is that there's only one thing that matters not having hundreds of, of women uh, not having billions of pounds in wealth not having uh, a great throne and, and nations coming to admire you and a sycophants before you all that matters he said is to fear God and keep his commandments and he might have added and I haven't done that and, and, and that's how he died and wouldn't it be terribly sad if that was the end of, of this bible story but it isn't would you finally just come into the New Testament please into Luke chapter 2 because the Bible talks about someone coming who is greater than Solomon and it's the Lord Jesus Christ and it tells us in Luke chapter 2 about his upbringing and no doubt he faced all sorts of temptations but this isn't a boy who gave into him into them because it says in verse 40 this child and this is Jesus Luke 2 verse 40 grew and waxed strong in spirit filled with wisdom and it says in verse 47 that all that heard him were astonished at his understanding so God had given Solomon wisdom and understanding and he'd blown it he'd, he'd used it not following God's commandments but doing all the things we thought about and at the end he looked back and said it, it was all futile and I could not change human nature I, I couldn't put the world right I, I couldn't sort out the kingdoms God has given me but he's a boy of 12 who is filled with wisdom and understanding and he says in verse 49 how is it that you looked for me to Mary and Joseph did you not know that I must be in my father's business so here's the bible solution to the Solomon problem Solomon's there in the scriptures in the bible to show us an example of, of, of the, the, the greatest kingdom in biblical terms I don't mean in size but in, in riches and wealth that was established there in old testament times and it failed even though God put this man Solomon on the throne it failed because he failed because of his human nature his sinfulness his disobedience of God and God says right now I'm going to provide the true solution I'll give you a man with wisdom and understanding I'll give you a man who's going to do my business absolutely I'll give you a man who um, will go to the cross and die that sins might be forgiven and if Solomon was only beloved, tender and only beloved one of Bathsheba his mother, I just share with you how much Mary loved her son Jesus because the next time in the Bible that we find Mary speaking, here she is worried in verse 48 about the fact that she lost this little boy for three days and three nights we worried about you and Jesus says don't you know I must be in my father's business and the next time she speaks and the last time in scripture she speaks she says to the people listening to her points to Jesus and says whatever he says to you do and you could almost add 
to that, those words, because he's about his father's business. So that's the message I leave with you all this afternoon. Look at Solomon and then turn to Jesus and see the man who's got to sort out the world for God as God has promised and listen to him because he's always about his father's business. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Christadelphians.org.uk